All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Some of you know me. Some of you, maybe you're just tuning in for the first time because you're a big Joel Hodgson fan. Yeah, Joel Hodgson. I, you know what? I, I think my ability to speak is deteriorating. It's not senility. It's not Alzheimer's. I just think that my my tongue and my ability to enunciate is just giving up. It's giving up. Joel Hodgson is here today from uh, MST Mystery Science Theater 3000. They're doing it again. It's happening. And coincidentally, also on the show today, someone who is on the new MST 3K, Jonah Ray to promote something else, but we got a little bit in for the other thing. He's my buddy. He's been on my TV show. He lives down the street from me. Always nice to see Jonah. So big double header here today. So I'll try not to go too crazy talking about my own shit, but uh, welcome to the show. If this is your first time, if it's not nice to have you back, how you holding up? Are you okay? Uh, I'm out of town still. I, you know, I've, I've been at it, man. I have been at it, but uh, in, in all honesty, the, the two real tour has concluded. My tour dates are done. But look, if you still want to see me live, I'll be at BookCon Saturday, June 3rd in New York City. Come hear me talk about the uh, the new WTF book, Waiting for the Punch, with my producer, Brendan McDonald. You'll get an advanced copy of the book, and we'll sign it for you. What do you think of that? You can go to thebookcon.com for tickets. So I've been out. I've been around. I've been pushing the uh, the 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 limits with the stand-up as as many of you know i taped that special i guess it's going to be a couple of weeks ago now in minneapolis and we got to cut that lynn shelton and myself she directed it uh all the dates that were from the two real tour beginning with carnegie hall even a little it was actually before carnegie hall uh did some club dates and then moved into the theaters and it was all sort of converging on that on the special been doing a lot of stand-up and last weekend which would have been the day before yesterday, last Friday and Saturday. It was kind of uh, it's pretty crazy because I think the last time I talked to you guys, I was in New York doing the Glow Junket, doing the press for the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. But then I did a lot of running around leading up to the final show of the tour at, uh, at the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. So I was in New York, and on the Thursday, I went down to, uh, I took the train, took the train down to dc now look i you know i'm not an elitist in any way and uh y- you know i don't uh i don't like making a big deal about things or or being ostentatious but i'll be honest with you brendan and i had to go down to dc on thursday to do some business friday morning we had somebody we had to talk to and uh i got i got his first class tickets on the acela train from new york to dc it's about three and a half hour run. The Acela is already a fast, you know, in, in terms of Amtrak, it's a little more pricey. It's supposedly an all business class train. But I figured, hey, let's let's live a little and do the first class thing. But you know what? You know what it really comes down to is I don't know if you've ever had to get on a train in one of the major metropolitan areas like uh, Philly or New York or D.C. But the the panic, the panic of boarding is is something I wanted to avoid. And apparently I was willing to spend a few dollars to do it. Just that sort of, you don't know what track it's going to be on. If you're a Penn Station, you're just sitting there like in, in starting position. 
You're you're in starting position. You got one foot in front of the other when it's coming down to the wire on on your time of departure, and you're just looking at that board. And when they drop that track number, you got to like wait. You try to familiarize yourself with the architecture of the situation and figure out where all the tracks are. I mean, maybe you know that if you do it regularly. I don't. But then you're just re- you're just waiting to bolt, waiting to bolt with everybody else. Just that panic of fifty to a hundred people, just like ah, the track seven. And uh, I don't know. I wanted to avoid that. And it was worth the uh, few dollars extra to avoid that. We sit in first class on a train. It's not like an airplane, but you, you do recline a little bit, and they do give you some food. And uh, and it was nice. Give me a time to talk to Brendan, catch up. And uh, we didn't have to go through the, uh, the, the panic, the bolting panic of boarding a train. So we went down to D.C., and then Friday morning we did the thing. Then Brendan went back home. And then when I, I went up to Philly to do the Merriam Theater with my buddy Nate Bargetzi, and the Philly crowd was great. It was just a, it was a great night and uh, we did a nice tight show. I wasn't feeling great, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make a big deal out of it. I just did my job and the set is so goddamn tight right now. I didn't, uh, it wasn't like I walked through it or swept through it, but I, I did my job. I was a little compromised physically. And then somehow or another, we managed to get a uh, roast pork sandwich in with the broccoli rob and the uh, provolone. Uh, mine was sitting in my dressing room. The guy who, the stage manager over at the Miriam had set us up. I didn't get over to John's or Denix. Didn't have time. There was no time coming up from D.C., getting settled, getting my shit together. Then uh, we do that show, eat the roast pork, crash next day, up, take the train back down to D.C. And you know what? From Philly to D.C., I did it again. I got first class. I'm living it. I'm living large getting first class on the Amtrak. That's where I'm at. So now I'm going back down to D.C. And I... You know, I spent some time in D.C., Washington, D.C., which, of course, is the focus of of all of our attention, all of our anxious attention, all of our terrified attention, depending on which side you're falling on. Some of you are, I guess, a couple of you, you're, you're just thrilled with every minute of spontaneous horror. But those of you who have, uh, who have listened to this show for a while know that um, I like D.C. I like going there. It, 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 it does still and always has represented something, probably a dream. And, and it's seeming more and more like a dream uh, of a country to, to this day. But I, I still like walking around D.C. So I get to D.C. and, uh, you know, I'm nervous because yeah, I'm, I'm not hiding the fact that uh, I'm, I'm sort of terrified as, you know, our democracy seems to be barely holding. I didn't know if I would witness the carnage that was addressed in the inaugural speech. Like, what is D.C. like now? I had not been there uh, since this administration uh, took uh, control. And I am happy to report, at least on this level, that that D.C. Was, was thriving and diverse and exciting. And there was all kinds of things going on with all kinds of different people. I look around at all the people, and they're okay. They're getting through it. These people were designed to endure Americans. We're designed to to hopefully, you know, fight for what's right whenever we have the opportunity to do so. But it just felt like America still in Washington, D.C. Kind people, nice people, polite people of all kinds going about their day, enjoying the nation's capital and, and engaging whatever events they were doing. The museums were all open. The carnage was not present. But it was a different experience for me in this in that. You know, I've been there, and whenever you go there, who was ever president, doesn't no matter, don't matter who it is. You look at the White House, and you're like, "Holy shit!" There's the White House, and there there is always a sort of, I, I believe, maybe I'm unique as an American, a sense of awe to the uh, to the the buildings of government. 
But this was the first time. Like, you know, I just remember going. I've been there many times over my life, and you're always sort of fascinated with it. Why do I project? I'm always sort of fascinated with it. But this was like this time it was more of a disturbed and perverse fascination. Like this is the first time I stood in front of the White House and thought, oh, do you think, is he in there? Do you, do you think he's in there? Is he just, what's he doing in there? Is he just yelling at things? Is he, what's he, is he in there, that guy? Is that guy in there right now? And then there's this other thought, like, you know, what, if I just, you know, if I showed up with a bucket of KFC and some, maybe some cheeseburgers, would you think that maybe I could go in and chit chat with him and see where his head's really at? You think he's in there? A sort of weird panic, apprehensive feeling standing outside the White House, which I've had before in different forms. I've been there for several different presidents, both Democratic and Republican. But this time it was beyond party. It was just like, do you think he's in there? Is he? And I had not had that feeling before. But I I will report that, you know, even with whatever tremendous tension and and discomfort that some of us are feeling, that the the nation's capital still seemed to be a a vibrant uh, uh, representation of uh, a diverse country. I I did not see the carnage. There was one building that was about partially demolished, and I was wondering, is this this a a construction site or is this the, the actual beginning of the carnage? I don't know. Jury's out on that. Jury is out on that. So let's now talk to uh, my friend Jonah Ray. Uh, Jonah uh, is uh, entering season two of Hidden America. That's his show, Hidden America with Jonah Ray. It's now streaming on CISO. You can also watch him in MST3K, The Return, that is now on Netflix. This is me and the uh, lovely Jonah Ray back in the garage. So, Jonah, you seem to have, uh, you know, landed on your feet. <laughs> it's real touch and go there for a bit. But I, I landed on one foot and uh, one uh, and ankle. Stayed balanced for a while, then got the other foot planted somehow. Yeah, I guess so. So I, I literally haven't talked to you for a long time, and we're neighbors, and I guess we just can't find time to hang out. I understand that. Yeah, well, we we text about music and the yeah, and and then yeah. and then there's a couple complaints and then that's it. And yeah, that's, let's we, we should do something. Okay. Yeah, but it's really it's really about busy. It's about being busy and about the fact that I don't really hang out with anybody. Do you not? Do you not do anything? No, dude, I don't do much of anything. I'm do I I I'm I I don't know. Maybe I I'm old. It might be it. I <laughs> did you expect this of yourself? Like uh, I never did much. I, you know, I, yeah. it's a lot to get me out to a show. It's like I'll go do comedy. I'll yeah, I'm working a lot. Yeah, but uh, but well, that's like doing comedy. That's like that's faux uh, social behavior. No, it's, it, no, it's not faux. It's real. Like if I need to, you know, touch work. base with. Well, but <laughs> it's like if you're in a if you're in an office all day, you're like I have tons of friends that I talk to all the time. Well, but no, but like doing the road stuff, that's the work. But like if I want to just keep you know keep in shape or but like if I want to socialize, like if I feel like you know I haven't talked to a bunch of dudes in a while <laughs> just talking okay. about chicks and whatever beers. exactly yeah or whatever it is a comedy or what like yeah. i'll go to the comedy store you know i'll go early i'll stay a little bit after my set and i i get all caught up yeah i get all the dude energy i need i get all the sort of like who's doing what yeah. you know uh, see who's doing what you know kind of where they're at joke wise and i like seeing people so 
So it's, it works as sort of a clubhouse when I need it. That's true. Yeah. So I guess, but that's also like I guess a thing that like old guys do. They join country clubs. <laughs> I wouldn't call the comedy store so, like, a country club by any stretch of the event. Well, that's more of a VFW hall for Vietnam yeah. vets. It's like a country club in hell. <laughs> yeah. It's just. Well, I don't know if I'm old. Let's not go crazy with it. You I, said it. I'm, 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 I'm just. I'm, yeah, but that wasn't an invitation oh, to okay. clobber with you know, it. Do, clobber well, me with say it. Say it again. Say it again. You're old. You're getting old. Well, I think I'm getting older. No, now. Mark. No. Come on. You got so much life to live. So, all right, I also want to talk about MST3000. We're talking about the travel show, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, just uh, dur- last, when we wrapped up the third season of um, of The Meltdown, yeah. uh, we were also uh, wrapping up writing and sh- oh, we were shooting also Mystery Science Theater 3000 and I was writing the second season of Hidden America. All around the same time. Now, what was the uh, what was the uh, inception of Hidden America? What was the pitch? How did it all come together? Uh, well, I just I, I I love Bourdain and mm-hmm. I love his show uh, and I love how how awesome it looks yeah. and also uh, I I like sketch comedy a lot and yeah. I kind of found that you can kind of do a sketch show uh, that's also just a uh, like a parody of Bourdain right. and have it be a secret sketch show within it. So but, those... but it's a real travel show, though. Well, we go to real places, but everyone I talk to is fake. Uh-huh. Like, it's, everyone's playing a character. Right. So it's, you know, I got uh, Yvette Nicole Brown from Community. Like, she's yeah. playing uh, a DEA agent uh, that I talked to while coked up yeah. in Miami. Uh, really yeah. coked up? Uh, no, no, okay. no. But I, I, from experience, I was able to uh, oh, good. bring a lot. Draw, yeah. draw from your experience. I was able to no draw from experience of me being stuck in a bathroom with a guy talking about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Being, oh, being that's underrated. not a bad topic. I mean, yeah. I've, I've had much worse topics in those situations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least something you can, that's something you can really lean into. Yeah, it's a, a lot like those. It was the the topics are conversations like I think I might have come inside that girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that one go on for a while because that could always trigger like, oh, there's this one time and you're like, I don't know, we need to do it, you know, go that yeah, far into it. No, but petty, why not? Let's sure. go down the rabbit hole. I love it. I'm a big, I'm a big petty fan. So you're coked up. You're talking to. Oh yeah. So we, we, we so we got like a ton of like you know like we have. I go to Nashville and I talk to Jared Logan who like plays like a, a you know Pentecostal preacher and a tent revival. But you uh, go to the places. We go to the places. Sometimes we'll fake it out here just if it's easier. But what if you're in the place? Don't you talk to any indigenous yeah. people? Yeah, we talk to some indigenous people, <laughs> some locals. By that, I mean locals, yeah. But I, I don't all, want to misuse that word. If all, As much as I can, I'll cast local people for uh, parts as yeah, much as I can. Because right. uh, like in last year, we did, um, we did New Orleans, and so I had Sean Patton uh, play a part. And Sean Patton was able to bring a ton of local uh perspective right. to the part and same with uh chris true who's an improviser guy down there had him on and it's just people are able to bring a lot of that local flavor to it but why the choice ultimately like uh w- what stopped you from just doing a real travel show because i only want to be involved in fake things <laughs> when i when i did the bing commercials it's like i got a ton of offers of just like hey there's like a science show where you go around talking to people with you know doing homegrown science projects i was like no i don't I don't want to. I don't want to be me. Yeah. I don't. I don't. It's a. I. I. I don't want to do things that like. I, I want to try and make the things that I liked when I was growing up. Right. And I never really liked any of those shows. The real things. Yeah. It's you like might have, as well do a riff on like Spinal Tap it. Yeah. Exactly. They yeah. got to be in a band. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. They also got right. to have it be fake. But let's talk about this MST thing because for me, like when I was at Comedy Central hosting Short Attention Span, it was sort of there at the same time, and it was like I knew it was a like uh, uh, had a very dedicated cult following mm-hmm. and it seems like and i talked to joel too 
it seems like one of those things where those people never left. They're just now in their 50s, and they're very excited. But there's a whole new generation of people that have watched it over the years that when On it's YouTube. been available. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or DVD or just tapes. But it's, it's definitely one of those things where people know every episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the show, and a lot of my friends were, too, growing up. When you were a kid? Yeah, when I was a kid, I, I loved the show. It's I, I wanted to be on, let's say, you know, I would watch, it's like, you know, early, I watched everything on Comedy Central. Right. So, essentially, I was watching your show, yeah. Short Time Cement Theater. Were you really? Yes, I was. Huh. Yeah. Me and my bad outfits and my hair looking awkward in that It was set. a weird set, though. Yeah, You yeah. were set up to fail. Okay. Um, Always, though? No, you had some good stuff. It was just weird because I had seen you do stand up on TV. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, what? you were you you were hosting clips of stand up. I know. No, it was mostly promotional clips of movies and TV shows. Weird pack like stand up. Stand up was really the stand up. That's show. right. That was the the mine was sort of like pieces of movie promotions that That's we could right. build. You know, themes and things. It was ridiculous. Yeah, nothing. We paid for nothing. Like you know, we <laughs> like when a, when the the DVD box set or the videotape box set of the Carson's Greatest Moments came in, we're like. <laughs> Great. We can build a whole show around Carson and act like we made decisions around what we were going to put on. It was fucking nuts. And just they just give you the EPK and this, yeah, yeah. And it was just nothing was paid for. It was all you know. And then we'd have these dumb themes. Today's theme is the color green. <laughs> that was a, terrible. But it was like, but it, there wasn't that much on. Mm-hmm. Comedy Central. Comedy Central. Yeah. So it was like I was like watch I was watching you, stand up, stand up, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, Kids in the Hall was on all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh Python and Abfab. Exit fifty seven. That was not uh, Exit fifty seven came about after the end of uh Kids in the Hall. Because right. remember after Kids in the Hall was done, it was Vacant Lot and Exit fifty seven. Well Vacant Lot was Nick McKenney. Yes, Mark's, Mark's brother, brother and Exit fifty seven was and Paul Greenberg. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exit fifty seven was Amy Sedaris, Paul Dinello and Colbert. And Mitch Rouse. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what I loved, like- uh, Jody Lennon. Uh, that's right. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I was always thinking about was the the opening of Vacant Lot might be the coolest sketch show opening of all time. The running? Was it- No, no. Of- it's like they're sitting in a dilapidated house and right. then uh, uh, pretty vacant by the mm-hmm. sex pistol starts playing and then wind starts blowing and then the entire- house yeah there's like just falls out down around them yeah I, I was like it was like a fucking sex pistol song and this cool set piece uh, for you it was like ah uh, yeah <laughs> it's, the, it's that venn diagram where yeah, you find yeah. yourself in the middle of it and that was always the thing about watching mst too it's like you know they throw out references to zappa while you're a kid like that's starting to get into music starting to get into comedy yeah, yeah. and everyone starts to kind of yeah there's know, a portal it's a portal yeah. Yeah. Portal into another world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like these people like the same things I do. That's a huge or thing. Or like, what's that? That guy likes it. I got to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you're the main guy. I'm the new uh, test subject. Yeah, I'm the Joel, Mike, then me. Yeah. It's, uh, you know. it's what, what, how, what, How'd you feel when you got it? Like, that must have been like, you're like, what? Well, when he asked me, it was still like not a real thing. It's like he wasn't, the, the Kickstarter was long, long before that. He was still kind of thinking about... Like Joel was like, he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about bringing it back, but I want to start slowly, maybe incubate it at a theater in Philly. Really? So I'd want you to move out to Philly. Is he in Philly? He's outside of Philly. No, I didn't know. Yeah, in Pennsylvania. And um, and I was kind of like, oh, that's weird. And it just it just kind of was this thing where he wanted me to do it. And I was like, we weren't sure what it was going to be. But then as it started, he got the rights back. And then the kickstarter, he was like... Like, you're the guy. So it was, I had it known it that I would be the guy for a while. Yeah, and then you but know you didn't know if it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was nice to kind of know for a while before it was announced, just so I could steal myself from all the uh, you know nerd anger and rage. Uh huh. 
Uh, you oh know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a hipster looking, yeah, dude, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of like, it's a, you know, the, the, the meanest comments I get on the internet. I'll look at their profiles, and they usually just kind of look like me, which is like <laughs> makes me believe it's like, oh, they hate me because they are me. Yeah, and I'd be doing the same thing probably. Yeah, because I remember when Mike took over for Joel, there was a lot of, a lot of anger towards mike and then there was like from these like this this subculture yeah 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 definitely but which is weird because it's like me and mike, my friends none of us care like we're just like it's still a show about a guy and some robots and yeah but like they should be happy the show's coming back yeah like, when these, a lot of people are I these purists are. are like it's not gonna no it's gonna be different yeah well it's, it's funny every once in a while like i'll like i'll see a guy go i don't like i don't like tom servo's new voice which is baron vaughn doing it yeah and i'm just kind of like baron vaughn's like one of the yeah. like, like the most talented like voice you know, guys voice guys and he's he's a great singer and he can do impressions and then like and the guy's like i don't know it just seems like kind of it's like i mean why is he why does he have to be black i go oh there it is oh, there it is oh, hello, right now confederate flag yeah you've dismissed <laughs> you've, you've dismissed anything you've ever said <laughs> yeah it just it's i i but it's great it's been overwhelmingly positive for anything i've done before it's uh a lot of people seem to really dig it so uh how's the new house it's great. It's a constant source of uh, frustration. Our front door doesn't seem to want to open up or close now. So. Oh, really? Yeah. From we're the on rain. A clay, we're From on a the clay rain. lot. Yeah, so everything shifts around. Yeah, well, that's what happens to houses. It, it, you know, you could do what I do, just let it all fall to shit. Yeah, but that's I like it. You you want your house to represent you as a person. Oh boy, yeah. Is that it? <laughs> no, but you know I'll get a new door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I, when completely necessary, I get a new door and it's got windows. So that is progress. That is progress. You're See, not keeping things out. That's right. Yeah. When when it gets ugly, when it, things start to really like like I got to do something. I'll do something. That's where I take the evolutionary step. It's a matter of anxiety and dread and just sort of like ah, oh, it's going to be a pain in the ass. But then when, when I have to, you I do. do it. Yeah. I take the step. That's life, though. I think it is. I got to ask you. Uh, yeah. You've had glasses for a long time. I have. Uh, I just got LASIK. Okay. Uh, did you ever think about that? Yeah. You can't do it? No, I mean, it's like, why? I mean, how are you feeling about it? Weird. Yeah. It's I mean, weird. like, I don't love, I mean, I like my face okay, but it's just as jarring to me as to anyone else without glasses. Yeah, no, that's what I'm dealing with. That's what I'm dealing with right now. I still like. I'll be walking down the street and I'll catch a reflection in a storefront, and I'll be like, I don't, I don't like that. Oh, you have, yeah, you have your glasses at home. Yeah, it is really. It is. I'm. I'm really odd. I, I'm, the whole thing is that if there's an earthquake mm-hmm. and I lose my glasses, I'd be, I'd be fucked. Oh, so it was practical in it's your practical. mind. Practical. Yeah, and I can, when you the know, end comes. I, did I a, can't be hanging on to those things. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I want to be able to see when I'm running. <laughs> I don't want to like. I ended like last year. I was shooting a horror movie, and it was yeah. at night, and I had to be like running through the brush. And right when they called cut, I stop. I put my glasses on. And there was these. I almost ran into these like dead branches, like just broken branches sticking straight out. Oh my! I god. I would have gone right into it with my. Oh face. my god! I, yeah. Okay, so I understand the practical elements, but it, did it work? I mean, can you see like 2020? Like, I don't know if it's 2020 because I don't know really what that would be. Yeah, um, it's things are a little blurry. The halos at night while driving is, are a bit much, like big, you know, bright halos that, around. Is lights. that a common? That's a common thing that goes away after a little bit. But yeah. like the fact that I can, you know, see that that says Rolling Stones, I wouldn't have been able to tell that that says Rolling Stones, right? Uh, or that says Rolling Stones, or you got a lot of Rolling Stones stuff everywhere. Come Everything on. is like, come on, yeah. <laughs> where's the other one? You're making that up. That's a big poster over yeah. there. No, I can read anything. We all die alone. Everything in here. <laughs> 
Where does it say that? Uh, it's in that second sack. Portraits, We All Die Alone, Aphrodisiac. Those are graphic novels. That should be exciting for you to see. Oh, don't do that. What? Don't what? Just, oh, what? Oh, you'd love it. Like, I remember when the uh, Star Wars episode one came out, I was working at a record store. I was like, hey, how about that new Star Wars? Like, I, I didn't see. He's like, what? You? Oh, come on. Surely you. If anyone in this room, you. Yeah. You know me and my self-esteem. It really is teetering on the brink. Yeah, uh, you know, I it's uh, I'm the type of guy that uh, seeks out YouTube comments. Yeah. Oh God. No, I can't. <laughs> I do. I, I do you look so- at comments? Do you look at stuff like that? Not really. Sometimes, like I don't do Facebook hardly at all. I mean, the show I have a Facebook fan page, and I'll go look at them occasionally. Yeah. But uh, there's no other comments I would look at. I'm not writing for Twitter anymore. Yeah. I yeah. don't do it. Yeah. Save it. Yeah, and that's weird. It's like, you know, once I, it really happened after the election where I was like, I don't want to make jokes and I don't want to fight with Nazis. Yeah. So that was like, it just put, took me out of it and mm-hmm. I kind of stayed out and it was like, well, this isn't bad. Yeah, I'll occasionally like turn it off or take it off my phone. I, find I took it off looking. my phone, but I still go through yeah. the web. You know, like I don't have yeah. the app on my phone anymore. That's good. It is good. But yeah. I'll still look, I'll go through the browser and, and it's a little harder yeah, it takes. A, I do the same thing. I, yeah. go, I don't need this app on my phone yet. Yeah, I'm like signing I'm scrolling. in. I'm a, yeah, but I scroll through like it yeah. doesn't separate things. In the yeah, mansion, so you're like, where's one thing about me? Yeah, there was a. It was funny when, you know, I, I think, I think Bourdain's show Parts Unknown is so good, and I think it gets better and better. Yeah. Um, but like he, he's he's in Hidden America, and he posted a clip from it on his Facebook page. Yeah. And there was a couple, you know, there was a couple comments about the actual clip, but mo- a lot of it were just people going, "Your show sucks now." To Bourdain. Yeah. Not that he's going to see. He's not going to look at his fucking Facebook fan page. You don't think, but you'd be surprised who does. That's a good point. You know, like you, you make these assumptions about certain people like that guy, would he's above it, but like, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone, rem- everyone's got a spare hour. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> they want to do some emotional cutting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only guy I know who probably doesn't do any of that is Louie. Really? Yeah. He's off Twitter. He just, he won't do it. It's principle with him. I think people who know they're compulsive, like, can't, you know, it, they know the time suck of it, but he's just sort of like, fuck it. You know, I mean, when something breaks in the news or there's some bullshit out in the, you know, the press world, it gets back to him, but he doesn't do any of that other shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the, there's, there's sometimes a, a little bit inside of me that makes me go, oh man, I, w- I want to get to a point where I don't. Like, I just do the work, and I don't care about the well, social that's what, aspect Right. Well, it. that's what I tried to do that this last tour. I just wasn't going to be that guy tweeting dates twice a day. Yeah. I just, I'm like, fuck it. If the theater tweets it, I'll retweet it, and I'm just not going to get hung up on that. You know, Facebook, you know, like, I put all the dates on Facebook uh, on the fan page and just sort of like, that's it. And I, I would retweet the theaters and sometimes go like, come on, there's a few more tickets left, yeah. but I didn't get into that cycle of like two or three times. I just like, fuck it. If he, you know, like I, I got the podcast, you know, if they're going to come, they're going to come. Yeah. And it, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And if, do you feel, felt you feel better? Like it's For like, not it's, doing that. Well, like, no, just like, not like just, not just that, but do you feel that there's less anxiety? Uh, well, yeah, because like, you, you know, the, the, the downside of Twitter is you really don't know how many people see what you tweet, depending on how many people they follow or how compulsive they are about looking at their feed. Your number of followers in the big picture doesn't really add up to much. No. And, you know, it's like you may be able to remind people because a lot of times people get on and I realize they don't listen to the podcast in order or whatever and they may not hear about it. But like literally the day after I do a, pl- a place, after I tweeted it 90 times. Someone from that place were like, what are you doing in D.C.? I'm like, fuck, yeah. I was just fucking there. And it's like, fuck this. Yeah. Like, you know, go old school. 
You let the let the venue promote it. I'll do a radio show if I have to, but like you know. Yeah, I think I think that's that's good, and then you know the just I like that idea of just doing doing the work. And a and, lot of people aren't on Twitter. No, that's the weird thing. I, I think my producer told me that seventy nine percent of adults are not. And there's part of me that's like, why can't I be part of that majority? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Aren't are, aren't we allowed though? Like, to say there was so much in in comedy in the past, you know, ten years. It's there's so much been put on the social media aspect because of some people succeeding off of it because of Dane Cook's MySpace page. It's a long time ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago, and I I I, I like to think that we can all disconnect. I you know, I wish Twitter would shut it off for a fucking week. I wish great. Zuckerberg and whoever's in charge over Twitter were just sort of like we're taking or taking a week off. Just to, like let the president sit and fester in his own yeah. garbage for for a week, and let, you know, give the country a rest. Yeah, give the country. Like, where's that? Where's the uh, the uh, hiatus of social networking platforms? Yeah, we, we should start instituting like a summer, a spring break. For yeah, the that'd be amazing. That'd be real nice. Everyone's like spring break. Everyone go outside. Yeah, uh, or just at least those two platforms, just Facebook and Twitter. Shut them off for a week. See how people you know, let people start talking again. Yeah, in real time. Yeah. I do still like Instagram, though. Still a fan of Instagram. I got, I got on it, and I was I go through flurries of it, but then I'm like, no, nah, fuck, I want to take a picture of that. Do I got to take a picture of my sandwich? No, no, you don't. Right. I like put I like making videos and putting like putting music to them and putting them up and stuff like that. I, I don't I, I don't use my time correctly. I guess for me, it's like it's uh, I I'll like do videos and put music on like in like edit it on the phone like an iMovie app on the phone. And I do that as a, like, it's almost, instead of playing a video game or yeah. going on Twitter yeah. or reading like, you know, so. You feel like you've done something. I feel like I've made something. something. Yeah. And it, it just kind of, it's almost like a little morphine drip of, uh, you know, creativity yeah. being like, hey, you, you did something. Yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate that. And I just don't, I don't know. I don't budget time well. I always feel like I'm chasing my, my own ass. And when I sit down, sometimes I play some guitar. That's nice because that's you know, all your thing. That's why I started a new band just because I wanted to have a like kind of a meditation. Yeah, I like playing drums because it's like you're using your creative brain in a different way than you normally are right. with writing. Yeah, um, and it, there's no more now Zen kind of feeling than because you're just doing the thing you're doing right then. You can't really do anything else, right? Because you're just thinking about the next hit, the next strum, the next lick. Like, well, the thing with the thing I do that's like so stupid and old school. Like, God forbid, I learned how to use GarageBand for something other than just talking on these mics but like on my phone like I'll, I'll tape set to my phone and then I'll like I'll come up with a lick in a very raw form and I'll be like I better I better record that here's the thing about GarageBand you already know how to use it it's the interface is so is so easy mm -hmm. that like if you know how to do this you just kind of you you go okay press record I can sh I can show you if you need oh let's do that now. that's for years since I got a MacBook I've been making songs on GarageBand like it's the best it's it's so much right, fun. No, okay let's do that now Are we done talking about your shit yeah I, uh, yeah let's All do right. it okay thanks <laughs> jonah that was me and jonah season two of hidden america with jonah ray now streaming on CISO and the new mst3k the return on netflix love talking to jonah ray now Joel Hodgson, oh my God, Joel Hodgson, how is that so hard? Joel Hodgson, it is hard, it's hard for me, that name. Joel is uh, somebody I've known about and known of for many years because back in the day when I was hosting a show on the old Comedy Central, 
when I was uh, slowly putting short attention span theater to bed after many years uh, in what we in 92, 93, maybe 93, 94. I don't remember when the hell it was, but I was in house over there and MST 3K, the original run, was still going on. So I always had clips of Joel. I always saw Joel's stuff around. I always knew that MST3K was popular. I didn't watch it at that time. Uh, I've watched a bit of it, but I, I mean, I just knew that Joel and I worked for the same entity, and I saw a lot of Joel's face, and I knew he was around, but I'd never met him before. And I knew that MST3K was a brilliant thing. But I'd never met him before. And over time, I realized I'd heard that, you know, he's a, a genius, that he's a, he used to do stand up. I knew all these things about him, but I'd never met him. And I was pretty uh, I was pretty excited to get an opportunity to meet him. You know, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And you can watch classic episodes on Netflix, plus the brand new 14 uh, episodes with Jonah, Patton Oswalt, Felicia Day, Baron Vaughn and a lot more people. They've restaffed the original characters, but there's also some other new stuff going on. So this is me and the, uh, and the great uh, Joel Hodgson in the garage. So Joel, I think that, you know, we were, uh, uh, you're older than me. But I, I certainly obviously remember the first iteration of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And then, but like I knew, like I didn't know who you were. And you were one of those guys that everyone talked about. Like uh, this guy's beyond, you know, he's uh, at another level <laughs> creatively. Well, know what you were. I mean, that, that people love that show. And, and I, I, I wish I'd watch more of it. But I think that, you know, I was more concerned with drugs and, and music than I, I feel like. And you knew Kinnison, and I want to talk about Kinnison too. So, but this later. is the thing. Like, I don't know how many people know that you know you were hammering away at uh, at comedy, but also I don't know if that, how many people know that. How much did you raise on this Kickstarter for the new one? It was like altogether over over six million dollars, and be, because there was like whatever the nerd culture was now, what you found them then. Like, there's a very specific type of sci-fi, kind of like, you know, robot, kind of nerd guy. You should see the look on his face when he's describing this. He seems like, actually, I'm just doing color commentary. Am I wrong? Mark. No, but you seem genuinely happy when you describe that. Well, no, but I'm just so happy that so many of them are like, I'm going to give Joel money to make more, and they've got to be my age. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you grab it's them. between, like... But there's a lot of them that are 35, mm -hmm. so that's like 35 and up. Right. Like they were 12 when it came out. Right. There's a lot of them like that. Right. When when people know me from Short Attention Span Theater, I'm like, you must have been a child. Yeah. It's a little weird. It makes right. you feel old. I don't yeah. feel bad about it. Yeah, no. But, but and when, I'm sure they appreciated it. Like oh, yeah. They, it was like really important to those people. I think the reason why I was bitter at that time was that you know short attention span theater mystery science theater like people would get some things confused but also you were doing this brilliant thing and you know i was you know hosting a clip show based on promotional material but listen i gotta i gotta tell you something though yeah. when they hired us i think they thought we were gonna do that like i think it's a huge misunderstanding that they even really got let us do mystery science theater was that with comedy network Pre Comedy Central, uh, it or? was comedy. It was Comedy Channel, and comedy then Comedy Channel, Channel right. merged with Ha for like nine or ten months, and then it became Comedy Central. So we were in 
Comedy Channel, Comedy Channel Ha, Comedy Central. And and I really think when I first met those guys, they were really treating it like this is going to be MTV with comedy. Yeah. And I think they thought, oh, we'll just get Joel and these robots to host clips. And I think that's what they were thinking. And then we refused to come to New York. We said, we're not coming to New York to do the show. We have to stay in Minneapolis. Uh, you can't afford it to pay us enough. And the, the studio that was too it. small. And we said no. And then they had to rethink us. But I really think they thought, like, you know how it was when Higgins, Boys, and Gruber, Tommy Sledge, yeah. Rachel Sweet, it was everybody was doing that. And then they started to develop programming. And the last. The last remnant of that was short attention span theater. But I believed when they started, it was all based on an MTV model, and they thought, we'll have VJs who host comedy clips all the time. Yeah, I think that's true. They really thought and that, that. That was also the mystery of you. Is that like, where, does, where are they coming from? Because I just look at the, day, at the dates. You know, you were in the middle of You were in the prime of it when I was hosting that show. But you were never around. Like, in yeah. that building, at H, I was at HBO downtown. Yeah. It wasn't even a real studio. It was an office space. The ceilings were I like this, like, like this, this low. It was crazy to yeah, shoot in. They, yeah, they had to hang lights from the. But ceiling. But you were the mystery man. It's so like, oh no, that's all made in a lab in Minneapolis. <laughs> we, we, it we, really, it really, in in some ways, uh, it really served us. In other ways, it really hurt us because we weren't really in the culture of show business. But, so but that's they could, better. They could kind of ignore us on certain things. But it picked. But look at it. You just raised six million dollars from thirty-five to sixty-year-olds. Who are excited yeah. to see the, yeah. the puppets come back, the yeah. robots. That's right. That's right. I, yeah. But but let's go back because the thing that like I wasn't mad at you or anything. I was uh you know it, it was I was sort of mystified by the the whole because I wasn't I was new to show business other than being just a sweaty stand up. I was a child in a lot of ways. Were you? Uh, didn't you start in San Francisco? Not really. Really? Where did you start? I uh, I after college. I did it maybe twice in college. In 1986, I moved out here and became a doorman at the comedy store. And I got all fucked up on drugs. And by 80, late 87, I moved back to Boston where I went to college. And that's really where I started. And then that's a good town to do stand up in. Yeah, it was great. You know, yeah, yeah I did. I, I came in second in a fest in the riot, and uh, you know, and I started working doing all those one nighters. And then, um, and then in '89, I moved to New York, and I was going back and forth making money. And then, like '92, after hitting the wall on uh, you know losing my sobriety again, I scrambled out to San Fran. But yeah, it was like it was uh, San Francisco and Boston, L.A. and New York. Yeah, and uh, Minneapolis, Chicago. That's how I looked at it. I think it was sister cities where that's the right. really pretty hot comedy that's true scenes yeah but like you started so what you come from how big's your family uh there's five of us three really? kids and two adults yeah and you work with your brother sometimes yeah we did for years not anymore but yeah we did for years when i used to live out here we had a production company together but when did you start so like what what what, what business was your old man in Oh, my dad was a teacher and my mom was a teacher. My mom was a nurse and then taught nursing and my dad was like a teacher pretty much his whole career. Like high school? Uh, he taught, like, he started out grade school. He was like my actual principal when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my friend Billy Creshawn went up to him and he, and he said, Hey, I know your little brother. <laughs> and uh, he thought we were brothers. And... um. 
And yeah, so he was pretty much involved with education, like his whole career, either selling curriculum for some companies or teaching. He taught at college. Selling curriculum. Yeah, you know, like SRA. Do you remember SRA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The interdisciplinary, like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, kind of colored thing. It was kind of during the worst time in education in the country's history. And they could sell stuff like that. These little boxes that the kids read, these little pamphlets, and then got tested on. Oh, right. It was all individual. So was that like a commission sales gig or was it? I think it? so, yeah. Interesting. So. Yeah. But they're noble people. They they work with the well, children he and really, the sick. Actually, he was an educator and he really cared about it. So he was in it. You know, He was really living it. And I think he was happy. I think he liked it. Yeah. And yeah. you're the oldest or the middle? I'm or? the middle kid, yeah. So where does... um. Where did like where does the interest in in show business come from? Where how did you? God, I don't I don't know how to I don't even know how to explain it because man, from the time I was can remember, yeah, I was like fascinated with it. Like um, who in particular? Well, I can remember being in kin- in nursery school, right? And they'd sing, "Do you know the Muffin Man?" And I'd yeah. go, "Let's sing, Do you know the Mask Man?" Like I I had gone into a novelty shop. And uh, in Madison, the Moon Fun Shop, and the walls were lined with like Don Post monster masks. Yeah, and yeah. I was like going, "Holy shit, that's incredible!" And so I was in, <laughs> I was five, and I'm going uh, masks. Like I want to be a mask man. I want to know where those masks are. I want to dress up. Yeah. So from the time I remember it, I just was like, I, you know, it's one of those weird things where you're, you, it's possible that you just de- decide super young. That that's who you are. Like I gotta, I'm just. I was just fascinated with it, but I didn't know how to get to it because I was in. But it was masks. I was in so- Southern Wisconsin, but that, that's all analogous, sure. I think, because masks, right. horror movies, costumes, yeah, movies, superheroes, yeah, yeah, the whole thing. But theater. for some reason, it's the yeah, oldest. Yeah, for some reason, I'm sitting there going. Yeah, I got to get near those masks somehow. I got to get part. I have to find out about them. Yeah. I want to sing about them. Yeah. I want to sing about being the mask man. Yeah. And then I remember I could hardly say it. It, When I said masks, I kept going, masks man. And they kept going, what? Masks man? Do you know the mask man? Yeah. It was so, yeah. But even that was when I was five and that was like the earliest memory. So anytime I'd see, and back then, you know, show business was so... I mean, media was so dull that and intimate. When, there was only you only had a few options. Yeah, like three channels. Yeah, but when something was on, like the Muppets were on, Ed Sullivan is electrifying. Like, oh my god, it made my day. There's a guy with a puppet on TV. Oh, you're like, like you know? so you're always a puppet guy. Yeah, it's like puppets, magic, ventriloquism. Who was the first mat? Oh yeah, you like yeah. I had I, a ventriloquist dummy. Really? Yeah, I had to. You know, they for they had Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen available yeah. at some time. Yeah. And I had I had uh, I think my brother had the Edgar not Edgar Berg Mortimer Snurd. That's the one I had. Mortimer you had Snurd, yeah, the goofy one. Yeah, and all the other kids. Even then. All the other kids had Danny O'Day, and I felt like I'm not going to do Danny O'Day because the other kids have Danny O'Day. I gotta, I have to break Which out. Which one's Danny O'Day? He's like, he's the most classic looking one. He looks like a Who's- smaller version in the Juro novelty doll ventriloquist figure Parthenon. Yes, you've got. Danny O'Day, which is the smallest one, who looks the most like a ventriloquist dummy. Then yeah. you have, then you have Charlie McCarthy, who had a monocle and a little and slit there and, yeah. a ta- and a top hat. Then you had Mortimer Snurd. Then yeah. later they rolled out. Um, 
Oh shoot, who was the black guy? Um, oh, Lester and Willie. Lester, Willie Tyler and Lester. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, um, that was like a big thing, and I remember thinking to myself, if I'm going to get into ventriloquism. I mean, in fourth grade, I had a teacher who identified like I was really interested in it. And she started playing this record in school, instant ventriloquism. And we'd practice ventriloquism in her fourth grade class. And there were like four kids who had dummies and we'd bring our dummies in and practice. (laughs) Like she was unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I was there. I was like, so in my, that year, my, my, um, my, my picture for my class picture is me with my ventriloquist dummy. I brought my ventriloquist dummy to get it. I was thinking that's how I'd get an eight by 10. Like yeah. Oh, right. My yeah. class picture. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm smiling so you could, so I, and the dummy's mouth is open and I'm like saying, see, I'm doing ventriloquism because I could actually oh, talk with the dummy. So you had that I, weird smile? Yeah. I had, yeah. Weird, I had the weird smile <laughs> and it was all like, I am smiling. And think, I'm smiling. Yeah. Hi. Hey, how's it going, Joel? <laughs> this is fantastic. And um the um and you'd think somebody would have stopped me, right? Like yeah. some adult would have gone right. like no, do you, you really want to do that? Yeah. We're taking this class picture. Put the doll yeah, down. Put, put the, down the toy. Put the toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm shocked, man. They let me be though. Those that that's what's lovely about the Midwest is That is, that's right. Nobody got everybody liked it. Everybody was like that's amusing. I mean, I remember I, I was carrying, in the neighborhood, I was carrying my ventriloquist dummy over to my friend's house, and his mom opened the door, and she goes, someday you're going to go really far. You're going to go really far with that. With the dummy. Yeah. With, she just, with Edgar Bergen's dummy. She just was dummy. smiling, yeah. and no one said, you're wrong. You know, this is wrong. You're wasting your time. I never, Well, that was, I don't think I ever heard it. Well, like, that's interesting about the teacher, too, that like I, I, that, that idea that like, well, if these kids are excited about this, Let's let's it's it's harmless, and they're excited and they're engaging. Yeah, let them do it. Yeah, it was really bizarre, but I I, I don't know. How I old don't do know you? How it happened? I'm 57. So you're a little older than me. So you know, ventriloquism for the, for most practical purposes was not a lively art form at that time. Really, it was the sort of the end of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it was sort of fascinating because I remember being fascinated with it, and I don't know what the idea of throwing your voice. Or the idea, like, I don't even know that I saw a lot of ventriloquists when I got that dummy. And I didn't really commit to it like you. I had it and I tried it kind of, but I wasn't in. We're at that age where you're like trying to find a right. sign, a sign, an identity. Yeah. And that was a big part. Like, I'm not interesting enough, but if I held this thing and I could make him appear like a character. Right. Then I'm interesting. You yeah. Know, then I have a place to be. Sure. You know? Sure. And so. and you kind of can divert a little of the attention <laughs> off of you through because you're insecure onto this thing. Yeah. So if and you it, just had the skill, and it's like Clark, Kent, it's like uh, it's like uh, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Because you're like I'm I'm really doing all this, but you can't tell. Right. Right. I'm the, I'm really clever, but I'm acting like I'm not. It's like it's a confection. Right. You know, social confection sure. in a way. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that's it. Well, you know, you talk to a lot of guys and it's like it was a, the, the popularity thing about being insecure, feeling like an outsider when you're a comic or somebody who's prone towards that. You know, you either do it in a way that's pleasant or you disrupt everything. And yeah. it, it's really about. Yeah. It, well, what did you do? What happened? I'm just a smart ass. Well, 
how, what were your what were your parents like? Well, socially, like what is what? How did they behave? Were they like they were kind of like you know self involved hipstery? You know they were kind of contemporary. Uh, you know always they're both from the East Coast. My dad was a doctor, but we lived in New Mexico. So they were graceful socially, right? They not really. They're embarrassing. Not really. Really, they were. He's all, a doctor and not but, socially skilled. But he's, no, he's just inappropriate. Like, he was socially skilled, but he was always the guy like, uh, oh, what's he going to say? You know, like, he wasn't, you know, right. he wasn't that. Uh, and my mother was always embarrassing. They're very vain, but this is going on too long. But they were um, they were sort of ice storm parents. Gotcha, gotcha. You know? Right, right. And not not the uh, Joan Allen, but the uh, Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein. Yeah, great. I, yeah. <laughs> I love that reference. Yeah, that was Let's the time. Let's have a key party. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. Were, I think they were at one of those. That's great. You know, I, I get great. that feeling. Okay. Yeah. I get it. So Not Midwest. So you wanted to be funny, but you weren't exactly cueing off them the way they behaved, or were they maybe showing you the wrong way to be funny? Well, I think I was fighting them. I think that they were so self-involved that I needed to get attention elsewhere. Yeah. That was the thing. Yeah. So I, and, and I always was, uh, uh, you know, trying to undermine structures, you know, innately. Right, Like right. the teacher, like if I was bored, I'd fuck with the teacher. Yeah. I made yeah. a few Hebrew school teachers cry. And I got kicked out of a private school just because of my dumb mouth. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's wow. that's what I come from. But you you seem to do it a little nicer. Yeah, no, my um, my parents were really good socially, and my dad was like really funny, and I I cued a lot off him, but I didn't really realize it at yeah. the time. So he actually was kind of building. He actually was kind of making a little path, but I don't think he ever thought like. It was all by example. He was kind of just doing it. He never said, "Hey, Joe, why don't you do this?" It was it was almost like firewalled. And later, I realized, wow, it's kind of similar to what some of the stuff my dad would do. But also, like I, I imagine that they were uh, uh, selfless enough and responsible enough, being teachers, to afford you the space, but also give you uh, uh, the you know you learn the value of education and all that and doing your shit right. Then you know what's weird is they never presumed I should go to college. Like that wasn't even in there. <laughs> like the only reason I went to college was <laughs> those are interesting educators. Yeah, even yeah, I think they're worried about the money or something but it's yeah. like it was like i remember going to college and f it finally dawned on me like this is fantastic these women are beautiful i get it yeah this is why yeah this is fantastic yeah like we're gonna listen to records with really cute girls it's gonna be great <laughs> you know like and it was it really was but I, it was exactly the right thing for me to do I was you still, know? I think at my point in college, I was still sort of looking for the identity thing. So I, I kind of moved into a kind of beatnik, kind of outsider, arty thing. Like and the that's, that's great. Hanging out and listening to records with girls was part of it, but I was more involved with smoking cigarettes and, and uh, reading books with the angry dudes. I didn't do that till like right at the end of college. That's when that all happened. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah we would drum. Do you remember drum? Do you still smoke? No. Do you remember drum cigarettes like the? Oh yeah, you roll, you roll them up. So great. Roll, buglers were the old school ones. Oh, yeah, the drums right. were a little more and, exotic and, from uh, Belgium, I think. Beaties, the like little tiny Indian ones. With yeah, yeah, I never liked those. Yeah, that was intense. There were the yeah. Jarum clove cigarettes. Oh, I was, yeah, a, yeah. I, was, I was smoking Marlboro Reds from you know when I was in junior high. So like I was pretty connected to that. That <laughs> yeah, I didn't. You should have just gone all the way and smoked cools. Like just gone yeah, cools were more of a blues man thing. Yeah, the mentholated ones. I tried them, you know, and I tried. Uh, I tried smoke rolling those my own. When you're sick, 
Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah Mentally. Open up the lungs. Yeah. <laughs> I just remembered something, though, Joel. When I was a kid, when I was in third grade, I did some stage work. Like, I was able to recite all the presidents in order. And I did that in front of the class in third grade. And then I put together skits with this kid, Jerry. Jerry Graves. And he played Grover, and I was the setup guy. We did a comedy team thing with this. Awesome. Uh, so I just, and uh, so it must have worked, right? Well, it was something. You know yeah. what I mean? Like It was sort of an impressive skill. I'd learned the presidents from a coin collection booklet, and I didn't have the coins, like a commemorative coin collection yeah. book. But I didn't have the coins. I just had the book, and I just memorized them in order. Yeah. And I, so That's you know, great. I, I, you know, it, it's easy to kill with that. You just got to nail it. You know, you just, No laughs expected. Hmm. Just get them all and have the teacher go, yep. <laughs> That's awesome. But, That's awesome. So when did it evolve into something that you were like serious about well and what was that well listen okay a lot of my stuff like came um like i said from my dad we were like in a big part of this is the church like we were in the like methodist evangelical church in the in the midwest so you're christians yeah oh and so that has a lot to do with what i do because First time I heard live music was in church. First time I saw like a movie projected was probably in church. First time I saw a magic show was in church. It's like they were always kind of like a little bit suspicious of entertainment on the outside world, which is rightly so, you sure. know. And they would it's a entertain. corrupting, horrible influence. Well, it's part ruined of, everything. Part of it is, you know, part <laughs> sure. of it is, but it's <laughs> like, but part of it's awesome. And so it's like they were a little bit like suspicious and. And so that that was a big. There's a big emphasis on being able to entertain. So there was like a pocket that I got swept into. Like, right. hey, you do ventriloquism, great. Do this father daughter banquet. I was like doing gigs, making money, How like old? in the church, like seventh grade. I had a magic show. I'd do birthday parties. I did. A, I was a clown. I like ran the rode the unicycle. So you were a clown, magic ventriloquist guy. Yeah, yeah. Full, anything full I could do, anything I could do. But those that, are the all ages fair. Can't lose. Yeah, yeah right. And From I was three doing to that. 30. Yeah, I was doing that, and there was a lot of places to play. How good was your magic? How good were your I chops? I was, I was pretty, I was pretty good. Like right away, I um, r- right away, I I was capable, but I understood that about being funny. Like that was a really cool thing. Yeah. And so I started to do that more and more. And so I was like working a lot and there was a magic club in Green Bay that I'd go to and we'd like learn about magic. So you're like 13? Yeah, 13, 14. I got just embedded. I was that like kid magician. That was kind of my identity. Right, and so you had business cards Yeah. a picture? Yeah, Um, yeah. And let me ask about the evangelical, evangelical church at that time in the Midwest. This is not... These aren't born again Christians. These are sort of grounded. They're born sort of, again, but this is before they got kind of commandeered by the Republicans in a way. Right, like they right, were, right. It was a lot more like uh, the Jesus story is very apolitical, really, when right. you look at it. Of so course, it was yeah. kind of like they, this is before they got kind of kind of swept into that, and right. so it was a lot more. It was a lot different, and um, it was just. Like, again, my experience there overall with the Midwest is people were very nice and very encouraging. So I, that's kind of where I was at. Yeah. They were just enthused at what I was doing and thought it was a charming or something. Sure, you sure. Know? Are you still there with the Christian? Yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah? I am. Held up. I'm a believer. Held up. I mean, 
you know, it's like anybody. It's faith so vacillates, yeah. right? Sometimes right. I don't believe it. Sometimes I do. Yeah. But I'm I like I'm like a, I like I believe I'm really grateful for the culture of it. That like I like I'm like I'm kind of explaining like I I kind of got to be in there and it kind of accelerated my growth in a way, like doing what I wanted to do. And everybody was really nice to me about well, I, it. I tell you, if you're not fighting that battle, if you're not fighting against God, there's a relief to it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. That's I, covered. What's you that know? Gary Painter song, I Fought the Lord and the Lord Run? Ralph know. Records? Well, Ralph Records. <laughs> sure, Ralph right? Records. So you, you you held on to your faith. It gave you a good foundation, yeah. and it gave you your early opportunities to perform and also take in uh, entertainment product, and, no matter how compromised it may be by the Jesus. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. I gotta remember that. But uh, <laughs> but but you know, it was in. You knew you wanted to be up there. Yeah, I struggle with it so much. Like, that was a big thing in college. I went to a Christian college. Oh, really? Like, which, which one? Bethel College, Bethel uh -huh. University. Uh -huh. and so you really only were playing records with girls? What do you mean? Well, what I mean, mean, like, how, like, uh, what, what was the sex? You mean, did I swing with dudes? No, no. I mean, like, you know, it just seems like a Christian college, maybe I'm projecting that maybe it, 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 there wasn't a lot of drugs and fucking, was there? Or was there more? I think uh, wh wh what it was is it wasn't decreed. That thing that was great is it wasn't decreed. You're in college, you have yeah. to drink and fuck now. Right, right. Everybody kind of had to go on their own and go on walkabout. Uh-huh. Right. Kind of figure out for themselves. So it happened. Walkabout on campus. Yeah, like, sexual we, walkabout. Yeah, we lost that guy. Yeah. yeah. So um, so I think, uh, it, it, you know, there's a lot of people don't get about it. I, I, I like- About what? About Christian college and mm -hmm. what the kids are doing. Because they're really, the people that I found did so much for me for critical thinking and just like ideas. People or teachers? The, 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 the kids I was hanging out with, the right. kids I found at that school yeah. who were kind of outsiders, but they really- you know, they kind of, yeah, we were like doing the bohemian thing towards sure. the end and yeah. reading cool books and yeah. smoking cigarettes and yeah. having a well, drink. Well, no, it has to happen eventually, but like, I, I'm not anti-Christian. I, I think that there's something uh, uh, pretty amazing about having a, a, a sort of w what is supposed to be a, a moral foundation or a spiritual foundation yeah. or or the, the the at least to have those questions answered and, and allow that to happen. Uh it's not terrible. It's a it's a struggle if you really want to think about it and really make make really try to find your way, regardless of what you believe. Yeah. Everybody's got to kind of do that, right? And so that was just the that was just the the hand that I was dealt, right? And I have to say, it wasn't that bad. Now, ultimately, um, you know, there's things that I, you know, there's things that you don't like about it because there's by and large a lot of people that could be kind of mindless and just accept it and are kind of towing the company line about it. I'm not really talking about those people. And I think that once the the dubiousness of righteousness is, is where I you know I, I think it runs into trouble. I mean, you know, guy fanatics are not fanatics, but, but that's are, not the Jesus story. The no, no, no. I know, thing, I know. Right? But like you know, but yeah. like anything you're using because I thought about this this morning. Like, how many of my principles? Are principles, you know, based, you know, in a moral foundation, or are they just things that I think and do to make me feel like I'm better than other people? 
Right, right. And sacrifice too. Like how to sac what does sacrifice mean? Is right. it is it just a game? Right. Do we really have a to sacrifice? Game? Yeah. I yeah. mean it, to make ourselves feel better. Like I sacrificed. I'm owed this. Like Well, that's a difference you know? between selfish and selfless. It's that when it comes down to being, you know, progressive or a liberal or somebody who who identifies with that team. You know, the real question is, how much do you care about people that have nothing? How much do you care about poor people in your heart is really what's going to determine yeah. your moral foundation. That's the truth. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It doesn't, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But it is part of my story. Yeah. And I kind of want, I really want that to be clear that a lot of that came from that. Like, yeah. how do you make, how do you actually be really funny if you're Christian? How can you do it? There's not much room there. Pete Holmes has given it a good run right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You think he's funny? I do. I think he's annoying, but I think he's funny. Yeah. There's something, you know, Pete is like a very proficient comic, and, he, and he's a very funny guy in a very sort of a palatable way. Um, but he, he, but he's a guy that, you know, has, same with Nick Thune. I, I know a, a couple of Christian dudes who were real, you know, solid, like youth pastor type of Christians right. who, who had a crisis of faith. And I think both of them did. And I think that both of them came through it with, uh, still with faith. Yeah. But with a more personalized version, yeah. and and I think that they their the the fact that they struggle makes it compelling. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think that is a, a really cool movement that happened. Is and I think it's part of for me. It was embodied in that kind of hipster Christian movement. Like, well, you know, we're 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 kind of born to fail. It's not it's not like you know, there's no perfecting just, the yeah, machine. Yeah, and you don't and and the Jesus story is kind of like you don't have to do that. And it would be wrong for you to insist other people do it. You know what I mean? Well, I've always been fascinated with the idea of the sins and that they they weren't designed to uh, to perfect the 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 human. They were designed to as warnings and as a way to judge and 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 seek redemption for your inability to stay. You know, uh, to 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 be consumed by them like it, yeah. it wasn't a template for that's, for the perfection of humanity that's a, a cool way to look at it it was a it was a template for the 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 sort of flawed nature of human beings to to regulate that yeah. not, not to to fascistically you know perfect it like to eradicate it right like um like i guess the idea is great the idea of grace is you're really pretty much off the hook like you can't Let's just admit we can't do anything to be perfect. Let's just accept that uh, there's right. this grace that we're given, and it's a free gift. Right. And there, and I think where we run into problems is when we get boxes that we got to check. Like I did this, this, and this. Ergo, I'm a good person. I'm right. Not, ergo, I'm better than you. Right. But um, the other thing I was going to say is like, I like you know, it's just uh, it's Passover, man. Are you being observant, no. or what did you do? Did you go? No, eat, I do go eat anything. Um, I haven't done anything in a long time. Yeah, I, I, I sort of, I don't have a community of uh, friends or Jews, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you, you know, I, I I sort of have relieved myself of um, uh, you know, even the the, the kind of annual rituals. I, mm -hmm. I don't know why, really, uh, but uh, but you know, I I don't miss it. I kind of, uh, I, I don't, I, the, the religion never really functioned for me as a religion. Yeah, it functioned for me as a cultural identifier, which I think is really I the mean, weird difference between, you know, mainstream Christians and Jews in a lot of ways. I, I kind of like anybody 
in a way who's in their own way trying to be obedient to God. And then the only way, the only time I don't like it is when they're trying to be obedient and they want to kill me. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's where I... That's where you draw the line? That's where I say... Murder? Check, please. <laughs> Good for you. That's a... You really... That's a... I was really a, trying a, to do a joke and I couldn't do it. That's like, a, that's my only joke for this whole thing. Which is? Uh, I'm okay. So let me. You draw the line at murder. Let me. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're correct. You're fixing my joke, and you're actually making it better and more powerful. Okay, that's what I should have done. So first, I started out segue from the seder. Yeah. People being obedient to God. Yeah. uh, I'm for that, except when they want to murder me. Yeah. I should have just wrote it down or something. Right. Right. But I was really like. It's a bold stance to draw the line. And I started laughing. I completely screwed it up. No, you didn't. All right. Well, I was just. I was. Uh, we could I, fix that on post. Sure. I took it seriously. All right. I thought you were. Yeah. I thought it was a reasonable observation. I but guess I do, it's I, true too. But I, I felt proud, like I had constructed kind of a joke. But it's really not. No, almost a joke. Yeah. It's there. It's, it's a, getting there. Got like, the setup. If I worked on it this afternoon, I'd get it together. Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You want to come back? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, well, I like the you know after we've had this conversation about uh, about grace, I like the idea of grace, but more more importantly, the that 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 was the context for you that you were like, I am Christian, I identify Christian, I believe this is my community. Now, how do I be funny uh, and and stay within my my comfort zone in a yeah, way of yeah. uh, of faith yeah and i spent a lot of time working on that because we would talk about this all t- all the time because the in and my friends at the call co- oh. at, at this christian and, college at, at that time you're still doing magic and yeah do- and, and then do- there's what the funny thing is is there were these there were regular bands right that were awesome and mm. then there were christian bands that weren't that good <laughs> but they would some things never change but they would but they would <laughs> but they would they would package them like famous bands. Right. Like there was a super tramp, there was a group called Servant, Uh and they marketed them as super tramp. Their logo was like super tramp. They sounded like super tramp. The photos were like super tramp. So you're going, it smells like super tramp, but it's Christian. It's okay for me to listen to. Um, but then all of a sudden, you I didn't t- think that Super Tramp was really, you know, pushing the envelope of <laughs> yeah. Mor- moral. Yeah, exactly. We'd have to break that down. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. Breakfast the, in America. When oh, do they demonic? <laughs> Take the long way home. You know what he's saying. <laughs> You're. He's asking you to be a sodomite. Yeah. Um, so but, you think you're Romeo? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an indictment of our Lord. <laughs> Romeo is as anti-Christian. That's Shakespeare. Um, so, so anyway, that was kind of a struggle. But we knew there were these great records that weren't Christians that were people living their lives and telling their stories. Yeah. And then there were these kind of lesser bands that were Christian, but they weren't as good. Right. So there's this struggle, and and we spent a lot of time talking about it. And that, it well, that's of, part of grace. You just put up with the mediocre right. band. Yeah, except yeah, yeah. yeah, like just put the yeah, you, you that's just part of your that's yeah, that's the penance of it, the suffering you have to listen to shitty music the rest of your life. And they do. There's a lot of them who do. So so anyway, uh the uh, the thing I wanted to say was yeah. I got to my thesis for my senior paper which was about this and it, the premise was and this will kind of tie it all up in a bow for you this will be we'll be able to move off of I, I won't have to tag it no you won't have to tag it so th- basically i did a thesis 
paper based on uh, meaning and yeah. people finding meaning in your art or your performance. Yeah. And basically, my thesis was people are used to finding meaning in your art if they're used to finding meaning in other things. Interesting. And so basically, I realized it, I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to... Im- it's not art if you're saying, I'm a Christian. Right. And if you're building your... Like, that's fake. That's not art to kind of be blunt and go, I'm a Christian, so you know this is okay. Yeah. There's no interpretation. Right. Right? Yeah. It, it, it strips the, the, the most beautiful part of art out, interpretation. And so that was when everything kind of fell into place for me when I go, I just, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I because- can just do my thing, whatever I think, and they're going to find the meaning. It's not my job. But also, you know? like, there's a, a, the faith in the fact that <clears throat> your shit is right. That, you know, I'm right in the sense of, you know, my, you know, my, spiritually, I'm fit. So, like, I don't need to pay lip service to that. Right. That's fake. That's right. fake. It's but like, I just, just it's be like, me. It's like an artist who stands next to his painting and says, let me tell you what I was trying to yeah. emote. And, yeah. and you realize that, and that was what was bugging me the whole time I'm in college, like, Where's the art in this? Like, what's going on? Are Christians not artists? You know, what's going on? Are, does that mean if you say you're a Christian, then where's it's per, done? Where's personal expression in, yeah. in, yeah. in where this is framework? It? And where's inter- where, how do you, if you're the viewer, how can you build up any trust if you don't be- trust that they'll figure it out and find and, meaning? And so you write this senior thesis, and when do you decide to, like, you know, what was the art at that time? And this is at the same time you're listening to Ralph Records, or is it later? Yeah. Yeah. So so that's coming it's right in. in there. So like you're saying like well it's, these guys yeah it's right in there. There's this whole world of great music and there's tons of stuff. Yeah, tons of great things. So what do you decide to do with this? New well, what I what I realized and then you know what's really weird is um, I happened they taught a theater of the absurd class at at the college and I took it and I realized wow this is like um, like Ionesco. Yeah, 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 Pinter and Harold Pinter and all that. And it was like... um, Beckett. Yeah, it was all, it was all, it was cool because the absurd gave you this this fail-safe thing for comedy. Like you can't fail at being absurd. Right. There's no wrong. Yeah. And that's right when... um, when Andy Kaufman was happening. And right, it was right. like, that was the greatest thing that I've ever seen. Freedom. What he was doing. Right. What he was, he was actually creating this canopy that was above entertainment. Yeah. And kind of manipulating all of us. The show was all of us. Yeah. And there was something way above us that was observing it. Right. You know what I mean? And sure. that's when that, those things, those things all came together, and and then I was kind of free, and then I did started stand up, and that's what, and then, and my thing was all kind of about inventions. Like I was really fascinated with being an inventor, and so I would invent these things. I was trying to get them patented, and I, I, I I'll, I'll tell you another example. I built, I invented this thing called the frizz bat, which was like a bat you could hit frisbees with. So I built this thing. I get this friend who's really good at throwing the frisbee and we go down to the gym at the college and I had somebody set up a video camera because I'm testing it and he's throwing the disc and I'm hitting it and it's flying back across the gym. It's working. And I'm walking back and someone goes, what is that? And I go, it's a frisbat. And he laughed at me. He laughed really hard at me, this kid walking by. Yeah. And I and I understood that what I who I am is really funny. I got it. Like I just had to kind of pursue it and it would be okay. Right. It's a frizz bat. And he just laughed his ass off at me. Like just a kid I didn't even know. 
right? A frizz bat. And, you and just, that was kind of it where I just go, oh, I'm, I'm like already manufacturing all this and I just have to let it happen and I just have to show it to people. Not so, take myself seriously. Yeah, if I just show them what I'm thinking and and not... And the other thing I did was I, I guess, uh, you know, I'm like slow. I mean, I don't talk really fast. It's like I'm not really energetic and... And and somehow that kind of worked in my act. And I didn't really understand this till I read Steve Martin's book. Did you read that? Uh-uh. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's I hear un- it's good. It's unbelievable. And he he really describes how, in a really lucid way, how comedy works. And it's kind of I'm paraphrasing, but obviously he's a super smart guy. And it was like he talked about tension and how you create tension and how the audience kind of rushes to figure out a way to release the tension. And he's, he, he kind of was using that theory. And I, my age, you know, Let's Get Small came out when I was like a junior in, or sophomore or junior in high school. And it was like the biggest thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, I was in junior but, high, yeah. Yeah, it was like the biggest thing in the yeah. world. He was like the Beatles of yeah. stand-up in a yeah. way. And so I, I didn't really understand that, but that's what was going on as I was actually like doing this thing and – it was weird and it would create tension and then the audience started to find ways to pay it off. And then I started to pay attention to what they were paying off and yeah. started building on that. So, so you and that's would, what stand-up is, right? You learn your stage self, right? Yeah, yeah. It takes it can take a long time. Like you must have gotten figured out how to get to that. Like A few years ago. It took me like 20 years, really. I mean, I was effective, but I wasn't popular in any way. And I, I'm not sure I was my truest self. It took me a long time to figure out like uh you know how to be me in the best form up there and i've been i've manifested a lot of different angles i was angry and sweaty and provocative and and then like i always knew i was funny but it was almost like most of my stand-up career was m- acting against that so you like rested and let it happen in well a way. yeah the fear you it's a of, fear thing you know, the yeah. fear goes away you know you either like if you're if you're funny because you're defensive or hostile and it's just how you deal with the uh, anger or fear you know that that might not be the best night out for everybody well the other thing i got <laughs> the other thing i got to tell you is i i noticed just being here you have a pretty strong aesthetic sense mm. like that's not that's usually pretty unusual for guys that are comics. Usually they don't Yeah. They don't like gravitate to those things. But that's like really obviously a big thing for you. Like yeah. pictures, instruments, records, like you gotta reflect. Yeah. You're always getting these like beautiful things reflected back to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's you? like not uh, that's pretty unusual, I gotta say. So But I know where that came from. It's similar to you in the experience of masks. You know, like this was like when I was a kid, my m- grandmother's neighbors, the Nuricks, you know, they had a bunch of kids who were older than me. Like they were like, you know, in their teens in the s- late 60s, you know, maybe 20 years old in the late 60s. So when I was like five or six, you know, I go over there and I go into Carrie's room, this dude, and it was just posters everywhere and pictures everywhere and records and records everywhere. And I was just sort of like, what the fuck? This is the best place in the, like it was the same feeling as seeing those masks yeah, like you, you go, this is like, it's actually really great because this is waiting for me. Like, I get this right, one day. Right, right, yeah. 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 So that's it, really, it's so important. It, that It's so important. The first inv- mind blowing inv- invitation. Yeah. The invitation that this is going to be okay or this is going to be cool at a certain point. And that's like so important that 
Well, how did they treat you? Were they like cool? Were they nice? Oh yeah, they're great. They babysat us. So it's were, like that's the best when when there's an older kid who's cool and likes you. Yeah, it's like means so much. It's been my whole life it, because it's also because my dad was sort of absent uh, emotionally and and physically because he was working all the time. So I was always sort of in that search, and I didn't have an older brother. But all the dads were pretty absent back then. I back guess in so. The day. And also, my, my dad was pretty pretty good dad, but he was pretty busy and pretty like working the whole time. Right. Right, they did that. Yeah. But like also the late 60s, because I was like in 69, 70, I was six and seven years old. So culturally, that was what's coming at me. You know, like Mad Magazine and just the news. I remember seeing Vietnam on the TV, the protests like that. It's frightening. I it was frightening, it. but I was, I was like, those are the ones. You know, those are the people who, with the they have the, they have the, they know who they are somehow or another. They, they seem to be like there was a raw, wild, mystical trip going that that resonated with me. It wasn't the control guys. You know, I didn't go for, you know, team military. You know, innately, I was like the chaos people. The, those emotionally fit what I'm into. Yeah. 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 And that stuck. And that's pl- ultimately playful too. That's yeah, like no, a definitely. Child, child also goes, I don't want to ever grow up. Like it seemed to me like adults, all they ever did was like, uh, read stuff and talk on the phone. And it's like, you're sitting there going, what the hell? This seems terrible. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'm going to talk that- on the phone. Excuse me. I'm going to write a check and then I'm going to read a bill. You go to bed. Now, if we're really good, we'll watch the news. If everyone's really good, <laughs> yeah. we're going to sit down yeah. and watch Walter Cronkite. That doesn't look like a good life. No, that's well, <laughs> the last thing you want, even now. Yep. So so what, so what? your comedy act beginning, so you started doing it in like 81, 82? That's right. Uh, basically, um, yeah, exactly, 81. I was in college. It was my junior year of college when I started doing stand-up and I was right at the cusp of the, the big comedy, boom. the comedy scene and Minneapolis was really right for it. There were a lot of rooms. There are a lot of good comics and it was just, just like, who like, was your crew? Johansson? Uh, no, uh, Louis Anderson. Yep. A guy named Alex Cole. Yep. Jeff Cesario. Yeah. He was um, a Midwest guy. Yeah. He came from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, uh, a guy named uh, Scott Hansen, who was yep. kind of the impresario uh, in there, who ran all these rooms. Those were the guys, and they were all at Mickey Finn's. Wild Bill Bauer, they were all at Mickey Finn's. That and was I remember, the place. And I remember being in college, oh, a guy named Roman DeCare that was really, really funny, cool guy. And But they were very hostile. They had this attitude, the guys at Finn's. I went in one night when I was in college and like went and saw a show, and and I didn't like the vibe. It was kind of mean, yeah, mean shit. And and then all these other rooms started opening up the comedy cabaret, and then the comedy gallery, and they were a lot more open, a lot more nice. And it was kind of infused. There's, it's a big improv town because of Dudley Riggs, and so there's is kind of a mix of improv and the comedy cabaret had everything. They they were trying everything. Yeah. So it was very wide open and very nice and there was no alcohol it was like a coffee shop so right. it was a good place for me to like start figuring out my stuff but because i'd been performing since i was like in fourth grade i had chops yeah so i could i i knew how to end my act i knew how a good opener i like knew how to routine well, i had, what good, was your I had timing were you bringing the inventions on because i remember yeah like- it was like a mix of um it was like a mix of a lot of retro stuff like i'd use like um 
Rock'em Sock'em Robots and Etch-a-Sketch and... and um, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Yeah. And what were you doing with them? Like, what was um, the angle? I mostly just was demonstrating them. I mostly was just showing them. I, I felt like I was kind of shocked um, that they were like psychic darts. It was kind of like, basically, I, f- I figured out that there was a... Sh- I mean, this, do- this doesn't sound meaningful at all now because it's so in the culture. But back then, people were like electrified when I'd pull out these toys. And it was like, um, it was like, it was weird. And I'd sing the commercials. So that was another weird thing. Because other comics were singing like Gilligan's Island, right? But I was doing commercials from the 60s and people were all remembering them. So a lot of it was these kind of psychic dart things where I was going, just kind of remember this and people were really reacting to it. Right. And then I did like inventions and I had like bad magic and bad um, magic. Well, that's a good stuff one. like that. So it was kind of like the, and it was, I didn't really get that it was a lot at the time. It, Steve Martin was so huge in my life. He really was like the Beatles that I didn't really understand. I was like aping or doing a thing that was very similar to Steve. But Martin. there was a couple of guys that were doing like, uh, like prop oriented stuff it wasn't unusual yeah but but yeah. you know it seemed like your take on it was a, a little different and wasn't yeah, we, gallagher was like super like had a lot of energy and he's feisty but and, you were me like you were constructing things as well as yeah bringing i was toys. making things i was showing I kind of remember things. that and so it was kind of a mix it was a mix of stuff it was a, just a mix of show, showcasing things and so when did the first wave of success come as a stand up? Uh, did you, you did young comedians, right? Yeah. So what, what happened was that? What happened was um when I got done with college, I did a brief tour through the Midwest, went through uh Kansas City and um you know, I can't remember St. Louis, I think. I just kind of did a loop through and then my friend and I uh, drove to LA. Yeah. And we went and lived in LA and I and I and I auditioned uh, I I already kind of had an in. I got I got booked at the Magic Castle. Yeah. So I that was like kind of my place. I did the Magic Castle a ton. Like so you were you got real good at it. Yeah, and it was like they liked me because I wasn't especially good at it. Like I was a com. <laughs> I was like a Valentine. You yeah. Know? It was like kind of bad magic right. and bad weird thi- bad props, weird weird things. Yeah. And it worked really good because I didn't threaten anybody. Right. It was really outside of that and that was another thing that really helped me as a stand-up is i was pretty different than anybody else and so i worked people really good comics didn't mind me opening for them so i would meet guys like got to be good friends with shanling and yeah. jerry seinfeld and those guys so yeah. it was like they liked me and helped me out so yeah. basically about two months in i landed um uh letterman I got Letterman. Uh, a guy out here, when you're out here, you mean? Yeah, there was like this guy who, it was really weird. Mis- mysterious guy stopped me one day in the Magic Castle, and he says, um, "Did you know Tony Giorgio's uh, fa- brother-in-law or brother-in-law is Barry Sands, who produces uh, Letterman Show?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "Yeah, and he's he's coming. He's you should talk to Tony about showcasing. You should go on Letterman." And um and uh, so Tony Giorgio was the guy. Um, he's like a character actor and always always played mafiosos. Like he's in The Godfather and he's the guy who puts the knife in the guy's hand. Yeah, I remember that guy. And, yeah. uh, and so, and he was a really good, he's a great like pickpocket, a really good card guy. And he got me 
uh, I got a showcase at the Comedy Magic Club for Barry Sands, and Tony Giorgio set it up for me, and um, and I got the gig. So then, two months in, I was 22. I got on Letterman, and that changed everything. So suddenly, so I, went, I the... went from unpaid regular at the Comedy Store at Westwood to paid regular at the Comedy Store in the main room. Oh yeah, and then um, and then I was doing Letterman, so I was doing the road, and then um, I started. And then it kind of went dead for a while. I think six or Letterman didn't have me back on. And then I got the Young Comedian special. And um, that was the twelve thirty show, Letterman, not the daytime show. Yeah, it was the yeah, it was the night. So you flew show. to New York to do it. Yeah, yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, yeah it was great. It and was Dave's great. the Midwesterner. You must have hit it was it great. Off. It was great. Yeah, he was really nice, and it was super cool. And I and um and then we did the Young Comedian special, and then everything kind of turned around after that. And then I got. And then I became a regular on Letterman and a regular on Saturday Night Live for like, I was vi- going back and forth like an episode on Letterman, episode on SNL. So I did four, in like a year I did eight of those. Yeah. And then they started to go, you got to decide, you're going to be on Letterman or SNL. Right. <laughs> you have to decide. Yeah. Or we, Letterman wants you exclusive. And so by that time I was kind of burning out on it and I didn't really have- Were you touring as well? Yeah, I was traveling. As a headliner? Yeah, I was headlining and just doing a lot of shows. It was great, but it was kind of like I was, was starting to lose its meaning for me and I was like, I didn't know what I should do next. I was like- Well, how was the environment at hand? Like, you know, you're hanging out with drug addicts and freaks. I didn't really, I think I got spared from that for a lot of things. Like there was a fair amount. I mean, I, I was smoking pot back then. Yeah. But it was like, and drinking a little bit, but but um, th- uh, they were all pretty nice. And I stared, st- I wasn't attracted to the danger, I think, right. the way you were. I was kind of more like scared of it. Right. So it was kind of easier for me to avoid that. I, I ended up really gravitating towards the guys who are really into the craft. Like I love Shanling. Shanling like. He like mentored me kind of. I didn't understand at the time, but he'd have me come over and we'd, I'd bring my notebook and he'd be writing and I'd be writing. And we did that like fairly often and he'd like watch my set and he'd talk to me about my sight lines and go, Joel, you gotta, why do you look in one spot? You look, your gaze is in one spot. You gotta, you gotta run your eyes over the audience. And I go, but I can't see him. He goes, yeah, but they can see you. You gotta <laughs> like run your eyes over him. And it's like, I go, oh, that's like really smart. Yeah, and I, after still have, I, I still have trouble with after that. After I did that, I, I, I just always do it, and it's kind of fun. He, uh, yeah, he cool. mentored, you know, he was a very giving guy. Yeah, so, I didn't know. get it at the time. I just, I'm really frustrated that he's gone, and I didn't like, you know, I haven't talked to him in t- 10 years, you know. And he passed. And he, yeah, I'm frustrated about that, and I like, I remember coming back and this is after I had moved back to Minneapolis and I brought him a robot. I was making these robots out of found objects and I brought him one as a way of thanking him. And he put it on his set, like for it's Gary Shandler oh, yeah, show. Yeah. So there's one of my robots on his set. Yeah. But, um, and same with Seinfeld too. It was the same kind of relationship too, but that was kind of, we kind of got to be friends after I was doing stand up, and then, um. And we started like writing together. I started write, writing with for him on a couple of things. Oh yeah, Are yeah. You I wrote guys still on, friends. I, I wrote on his HBO special, his first HBO special, and and I helped him write the like kind of interstitial stuff. And yeah, we're still friends. He's on the new Mystery Science Theater. He does a cameo. And oh, I, that's great. And I did comedians in cars with them. But oh, yeah, yeah, he's still a friend of mine. He's great. Well, that's nice. Yeah, right. There's yeah. a bright spot. So what happens when the meaning drained out? 
It's because you're well, doing it. You're at the top of your game. The, the comedy boom. Thing, you're a Letterman regular. Yeah, you're the only a thing, unique guy. Yeah, the I, I, the stress was kind of getting to me to have to create create more and more material and build things and build stuff. Yeah, and then and travel with it and um and there I didn't want to be on a sitcom. I don't. There, back then, the only thing you could do is be on a sitcom right. or write on a sitcom. Right. And and I didn't like anything. I didn't even like Cheers. Like I was, I they brought me in to read for that part of Woody. Oh like yeah. on Cheers, and I at at that time I didn't even th- like think it was any good. Like now I think it's awesome, but right. back then I just thought this is a sitcom. It's not what. Well, yeah, you were the anti sitcom. So that was where your yeah. your pushback was. You wanted yeah. to stay in the art. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see myself, and I on top of that I didn't fit in. I'm not like that. My stuff's really conceptual, and I'm not like a joke writer. Right. So it's not like I was a great joke writer, like I could plug into a sitcom and right. be that guy in the corner. Like, yeah. Re- it wasn't that. So then I, um, I, um, and then I just decided, oh yeah, it's like oh, maybe I should like quit and just see what happens to me. Like, what is it going to feel like if I stop? You know, mm-hmm. um, what am, what who am I? Right. Yeah. So I went back to Minneapolis and did like a big show to try to make money, and then I like auctioned off all my props on stage. On stage, yeah. At the end of the show, and then I just kind of sat and was like trying to listen to myself, just like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Who am I now? And so that was just kind of. Did you ask God for help? Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't. I don't remember. I don't. It's not that clear to me. Hmm. I don't. I don't know if I did. Hmm. I'm not sure. That's not part of my story, but I'm putting it in. <laughs> the day Joel asked God. That's always the great thing, man. I got to tell you one thing that reminds me. I was like, my family's from Cornwall, England, yeah. right? And there was this family legend. Like they had a ship, and they go up from Cornwall to the North Sea, and they'd get all this Norway pine, yeah. and bring it down. And supposedly the family legend was um, there was an incredible storm mm. and your great, great, great grandfather prayed to God right. to stop the storm. And if he did, if God stopped the storm and they lived, they'd become farmers in Wisconsin. And that's the story. And turns out, like, I ended up going to Cornwall, talking to some people, and they said, oh, when did your family leave? And I said, oh, like the late 1800s and they said oh that's right when there was a huge recession everybody left right <laughs> right so right. it was like everybody dresses it up with the god story right yeah and they were giving away land in the american midwest Absolutely. to it was uh, incredible russian they got, immigrants they, they got the 500 English, acres yeah. for free right just because they went there and put stakes in the ground well they wanted it they 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 had a real issue with uh, actually farming in the terrain. So they needed people. They brought in a lot of these uh, people that, I can't remember who they were, but that were kicked out of Russia, who were used, that's where you get the winter wheat, is that no one, the American government didn't know what to do with that land, but they knew that somebody could figure it out. So they let people like, go ahead, take it. Yeah, well, Wisconsin is super, it's kind of a glitch because it's super fertile because the glacier moved through there. So it's like the best farmland in the world. So somebody screwed up. I'm thinking about Minnesota too. Somebody screwed up giving that away. Right. So, all right, well that you corrected that and now we're switching your story. Do you asked God for help and he's, and he, he made you take some jobs and then he delivered uh, you robots. He dropped (laughs) mystery science theater on me (laughs) and it was like so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Which is weird because there is sort of a omniscient element in the way it's structured. Oh my God, jeez! 
Um, well, yeah, so I can tell you the story of that. Um, but did you, like, how long were you in the wilderness, man? Yeah, I don't know. It seemed like, um, it seemed like a couple of years, yeah. but, um, it was great because my friends were still hanging out and, like, having this cafe society. I was only in L.A. for, like, three years, so I had all these cool friends who were in bands and living in houses, and, and you know, that's when we were reading uh, Jacques Ellul. Alul's the Technological Society, right, and I right. got into Marsha McLuhan and, yeah, yeah. and all that. So, right. And they were reading the uh, the Sacred Canopy and all these lo- you know theology books and talking about it, and um and so that was like an un- unbelievable great time. The replacements were happening. Oh. It was like Husker Du. Yeah. It was like uh, the guy. Uh, it was Soul Asylum. It was all like perfect. That's great. And so I got to be in on that. And it was so, I, I appreciated it so much. But anyway, so yeah, so I'm back in, uh, back in Minneapolis and I started doing this thing where I started making these robots out of found objects and it was very instinctual thing. As art? Yeah, I was like, kind of like, I, I, you know, at the Walker Art Center, there's this great sculpture uh, that Picasso made where it's super simple, but it's, it looks like a gorilla, but it's a Volks, it's a, it's like a Volkswagen Tonka toy. Right. And he also would do that with like handlebars, like racing bike, bike and make and the bike seats, head. yeah, and make. Yeah. Um, and so I saw that, and um, I kind of it really spoke to me in a weird way because I realized like how primitive he was, and like you know he could render stuff beautifully, but he, then he'd kind of alternate and do these really primitive things that were re- like he. It just spoke to me because all it was is. Hey, it kind of looks like a it kind of looks like a gorilla head when you turn it this way. Yeah, and so that was part of it, and also, um, you know, they there was some information out. Like I think I saw a documentary about Star Wars where they talked about kit bashing and how they made all the vehicles and stuff out of, you know, model tank parts and stuff. So then that kind of inspired me, and I went to the Salvation Army, and because I was always at the Salvation Army, like getting books and records and clothes and clothes and. And and stuff that I, I would usually make into my act, that's where most of my act came from. It's just super cheap stuff from the Salvation Army that I'd repurpose. And so there's all this bric-brac, so I bought a shopping cart of it. It cost me 10 bucks. I got a hot glue gun, and I just started trying to collage these robots out of found objects. And they look pretty cool. I like. I was pretty capable. I could put them together, paint yeah. them. Yeah. They look nice, and there's this shop in uh, Minneapolis called Props. And they started selling. Um, they started selling my robots. So yeah. I sold like fifty robots. I got pretty good at it. Somewhere along the line, um, I guess I was starting to feel like I wanted to get back in show business. I was kind of like growing out of thinking about it. And I had this idea, like it's like so long ago. Like this happened in high school. Like you remember uh, that Elton John record, "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road." Right? Yeah, I love that record. It's great. And funeral with, for my f- friend and uh, Love Wise Bleeding. Yeah, love it. Right. Oh, right. That and guitar comes in for Love Wise Bleeding. It's great. Best. I used to do a magic trick to uh, funeral for a friend. Ugh. And um, so anyway, um, with each song, there's these illustrations, right? And in one of them, there's a song called "I've Seen That Movie Too," and it's an illustration of a Clark Gable movie. And there's theater seats and there's two people watching them and in high school i looked at that and i said oh that would be a great thing for a show is like run a movie and then have these silhouettes and have these guys talk so that was that and then when i started thinking about it 
in Minneapolis, I started to go, well, I should do like a local TV show. I should do just something that's cheap. What's a cheap movie I could do? And there was this other idea I had in college where there's um, this movie called um, uh, The Turkey Awards. The Medved brothers did this book called The Turkey Awards where they basically did the opposite of the Academy Awards where they'd have the worst movies in the right, world. And that's right. where I found out about Plan 9 yeah. and Robot Monster. And I remember being in college saying, why isn't somebody making a show with these? These are like adorable. These are funny and great. Like what's why isn't anybody figuring out anything? And so during that period, I had the robots, I had the idea with the silhouettes, right. and I had the idea with the movies, and I started to go, you know, I think these movies are like public domain. I think I think or ro- cheap, right? I think Robot Monster Plan 9 from Outer Space yeah. are public domain. And I could do this movie like on a green screen. I could do this yeah. show on a green screen. And so the first iteration was this thing called You Are Here. And it was like a zombie apocalypse. I based it on the Omega Man. Remember yeah, that yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Charlton Heston. It's a zombie movie. And there's a scene, this great scene where he, he goes to a movie theater and he watches Woodstock. And I based it on that. But I had, I had so it was me. I was going to be like Charlton Heston. And then there was a robot companion, Rex, and we were that was the theater seats thing. And we were like we were held up in a in a TV studio, and we were watching movies, hoping it would attract who's ever survived. So it was like a zombie apocalypse TV show, right? And um, that was kind of where it sat for a while. It was called You Are Here, and then um, I started thinking about it and going, um, eh, it's I don't. I don't know if I can make it funny with zombies. Like it's a little, it's an apocalyptic comedy show. I don't know if I can do that. Right. So, um, so then I started thinking about it and I realized, oh, I've always loved this Douglas Trumbull movie, Silent Running. Do you remember that with Bruce Dern? Yeah, yeah. These three robots. I go, oh, that's it. I'm a guy. I'm trapped in space. I'm having to watch these bad movies. And I got three, like Huey, Dewey, and Louie from from Silent Running. I'm going to have three robots. So I basically used that as a template, right? Yeah. And then that was it. That was pretty much the idea. And then it, along the lines of that, I when I, ha- I had a warehouse space, uh, the Colonial Warehouse, and in that space were these guys were making this like slasher movie called Bloodhook. And I met one of the guys, and it was Jim Mallon, and he was like the director of it. And... Um, and he started to like talk to me. I think maybe this is like six months later and he had quit doing that. He was working at this UHF channel. He was like managing it. And he approached me and he said, oh, we want to do a show with comedians. Like it's kind of like he pitched me like the gong show with comedians. Yeah. And um, I, I just was like so fed up with comics. I didn't want to go back in the clubs. I didn't yeah. want to work with the clubs or the comics, and I just said, oh, get to know Scott Hansen. He knows everything you need to know. Just go do that, and um, I'll build a trophy for you because I make stuff. I'll build you a funny trophy, but I didn't want anything to do with it. It just seems so pedestrian. Right. And so, but then I got home, and I go, shit, this guy's got a studio. I gotta, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gotta pitch him my idea. Yeah. And so I sat down with him. I always have kept notebooks since my freshman year of college, and- I showed him my notebook, and it was basically the doorway sequence, the theater, uh, the theater seats with watching a monster movie with the guy and a robot or two. 
I had some designs for robots. I was trying to think conceptually, but I really actually collage the robots. So I, I kind of work with them. Right. So I don't really design them and then build them, but I was just trying to show, here's an idea for a robot. Here's an idea for a robot. And then, um, and I think that was kind of it. And then he liked it and he said, well, we should, we should do a pilot. We should shoot like a 15 minute pilot. And yeah. so we set to work, working on it. And, um, Kevin Murphy was the editor there. So he, he, if people know Mystery Science Theater, they know he became Tom Servo over a couple of years. Yeah. And um, we started doing it. We started doing it at NI. To do the creative stuff with me, I hired Trace Beaulieu and J. Elvis Weinstein. And J. Elvis Weinstein was Tom Servo and Gypsy, and Trace Beaulieu was Crow. And we started making these shows. And, you know, that's kind of it. We started really slow. I mean, if you watch, and I mean, I, I were they public domain? Um, well, actually, once we got to the once we got to the um, once we got to the TV's channel, they had already licensed all these movies, and they happened to have some crummy movies that we could right. use. So they were already licensed. Okay. So we didn't have to use public domain. That was a local TV station. And that yeah, the public domain thing was just my justification because I go how am I going to riff on how am I going to like say shit about people's movies without them suing me is right. this against the law yeah can I get in trouble so the public domain thing kind of helped me get kind of get Past into that. it yeah, yeah. yeah so that was kind of it and then we did like 22 shows locally the whole idea was to uh, sell it to cable right and then uh, and then just around the same time I like I said I worked during that time, I worked on Seinfeld's first HBO special, and I met Stu Smiley there. Sure. And Stu Smiley was the executive at the Comedy Channel. Right. And so I had a friend there, and we I pitched it to him. We made a eight-minute eight cell tape, and that's it. That's the story. How many episodes did you end up making? Uh, a total of almost 198 total. That's insane. Yeah. So you do all these, and Frank Conniff's involved, and yeah. Uh, you know, the, well, after we got go, rolling, you know, we did the shows locally. We got to go to Comedy Channel. We finally got paid to do it, and that's when we started writing it. Yeah. But before that, we would just sit and it was like watching us riff at a party. Right. We just kind of talk, and yeah, we just started to figure it out. But the the big thing was um, was um, the big thing was we, we the thing that really canonized the show for me was when we cut together like an eight minute cell tape and we used our funniest bits and I go oh I get it the whole show's got to be like that rapid fire riffs right. and so when we went to got paid to do it we started writing it and right. that's when everything changed like if we would have tried to improv it would have been stupid right but no, we yeah. wrote it and it worked so yeah. and people loved it it was so special and so important to so many people but it was very specific and you know it's it, it makes total sense that now would be the time to 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 sort of reintroduce it to the world and you know and you've got all this new talent and and new technology i remember there was a point there where you developed a show because i remember being asked if i wanted to be part of it somehow or something like what was that was it called the box tv wheel the TV wheel. Yeah. It was first called the Xbox. Right. And then it became TV wheel. It was yeah. like a revolving set. Yeah. It was built on a 32-foot turntable. There was a lockdown camera in the middle. And it, it's all done in one shot. So it was a sketch. It was like it was like laughing or like a sketch show. Like an, It was kind of like SNL, but you- I think I was, it, but it, there was auditions for it. It had total point. context, though, because you understood there's a camera, there's a 30-foot turntable. 
32-foot turntable, and we have to do this all in real time. There's no cuts. There's no pre-produced pieces. So the the premise, all I was trying to do is just make something really live feeling. right. Because SNL was like rolling more and more pre-produced films in, and I was just going, it doesn't feel live. This is live. It was just a pilot, though. They didn't pick it up. Right. Well, I'm happy for you, Joel. Thanks, man. Sorry, I've been handling this. Whatever you got to handle. Yeah, I this yeah, just like I, feels so good in my hand. It's a nice weighty knife. Yeah. I I think I someone left that in an apartment that I was living in or that I'd subletted to somebody and there was stuff and that was you one got of the things. So many like it's really nice in here. Thanks, buddy. Like I wonder like what it, what is it like when you're not don't have this stuff? I I think about it all the time. Like cuz I think like what happens to this stuff? How much of it is really important to me? You know, like I've often thought about cleaning it out and and making it different. I just don't want it to get dusty because it's starting to. Some days it, it feels like it, like you know, when those roadside attraction museums that are unkept yeah. with freak shows and babies in jars and stuff, but there's always like layers of dust on all the displays. I don't want it to become like that, so it, I have to stand. It hasn't of got it. that vibe yet. You kind of have a place for everything, so it doesn't. Yeah, not yet. But um, but there's a lot going on here. I yeah. Yeah, it's it's cozy in a chaotic way. Yeah. Well, um, all right. Well, well I'm going to watch. I'll get caught up. Thanks so much. I really appreciate being here. I'm a fan. Thank you. That was me and Joel Hodgson in the garage. What an amazing guy. Great story. Good dude. Solid. I'm very excited that that show is back. You can watch the uh, 14 brand new episodes and the old episodes now streaming on Netflix of Mystery Science Theater 3000. No music today. No music today. Oh my God. I need a break. Boomer lives!